Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. Thank you, Jade. Great, we're in John chapter 17, the gospel of John, and uh, we're going to continue this morning as we have started what is known as the real or the true Lord's Prayer. Uh, John 17, we see Jesus turn his attention from earth to heaven. He turns his attention from the disciples in the upper room where there's been a lot of teaching to what we could call the inner room where Jesus turns his attention to his Father. And we have this enormous privilege of eavesdropping on a conversation between two members of the Trinity. Has that landed on you yet? I hope it has. We are eavesdropping on a conversation between Jesus and the Father. And Jesus began this conversation, this prayer, talking about an important work as the covenant son, as the covenant obedient son. The Father gave him a work to do, and Jesus accomplished that work in his perfect life and in his about-to-perfect death. And through the, both the work of his life and death, he's going to bring glory to his Father. And then there's a shift as he moves from the work that he's doing. He starts to pray about his own apostles. Um, and by virtue of praying for the apostles, he's also praying for the disciples. So a lot of what he prays for the apostles is also true for the disciples. And we see that in verse 20. As we get to verse 20, he says, I'm also praying for all future believers, all future disciples. So he's praying for his current disciples, but also for all future disciples. Many, many theologians, many great scholars, many great preachers have preached um, volumes on this chapter and we're only going to be doing it in three, three, uh, three Sundays, and so this is the second of the three. John Calvin, uh, the great statesman, uh, theological giant, said this, that we, in this chapter, we see the soul of Jesus Christ. And so we really have the privilege of seeing much of the nature and heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason he said that, the reason he says we see the soul of Jesus Christ is because often prayer is described as the language of desire. The language of desire. Because here we get to hear what is on Jesus' heart. Now, sometimes we hear this humorously in the prayers of children, right? Don't children do this? Children pray freely their desires, they pray freely what's on their hearts. For example, they will pray for grannies and grandpas, and they'll pray for dogs, and they'll pray for sore toes, and they'll pray for lost toys. And I've just got two examples for you. Here's one. Dear God, please forgive me for hiding my sister's favorite doll, and please don't tell her where it is. <laughs> one more. There's loads. Google it. It's fun. Dear God... I need you to make my mom not allergic to cats because I really want a cat and I don't want to ask my mom to move out. <laughs> Prayer is the language of desire. In John 17, Jesus is praying about what's closest to his heart. And after praying about the Father's glory, which is 
primary, he then prays about his disciples. Now, let's just think about that. That includes you and me. So if we're considering what is closest to his heart, the very idea of overhearing a conversation between the father and the son about you should send eternal shivers down our spine. That this is a conversation between the father and the son about you, about us, about disciples. And so what is it that we hear? What is it that is on Jesus' heart? Well, there are two big themes that emerge in the rest of the passage. And the two big themes are Jesus prays firstly for perseverance, that we would persevere to the end. And secondly, for sanctification. So we're going to look at these two big themes and then we'll conclude with some final thoughts. So let's look at the first one and we'll read the text from verse 6 to 12. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they, are, now they know everything, that everything that I have given, that, what, hang on. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Sorry. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled." The first thing I want us to notice is, who is it that perseveres? Who is it that will make it to the end? Who is it that will be kept? And the answer is resounding from the text. It is emphasized at least six times that it is only those that the Father has given to the Son. There is no doubt in this passage that Jesus is praying about a particular group of people. A particular group of people that is known to the Father, foreknown to the Father. That is logical. It is a people who have been given to the Son. He contrasts this by saying, I'm not praying for the other group of people. I'm not praying for those of the world, but he is praying for the people that were given to the Son. Now, we don't know who those people are. They are a people, the Bible tells us, from every nation, tribe, and tongue. The Bible uses other language, calls that that group of people the church, uh, the children of God, uh, the, the sheep, as contrasted with other pictures of, you know, you've got 
this group and the world. You've got the sheep and the goats. Uh, you've got the children of God and the children of Satan. And so you, there are these contrasts. These are the disciples of Jesus. They are the current disciples of Jesus, but also all future disciples of Jesus. Look again at verse 9. He says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. The elect, the people that the Father has chosen to give to the Son. In eternity past, the Father unconditionally, in his infinite wisdom, knows from eternity past to eternity future who this group of people will be. It is not only theologically true, but it is logically true that, that, that God would know ex that exact number. Now, we don't know, but God certainly knows who his children are, who his church is. God is free and able to choose his own bride for his son. And so in this passage, Jesus is reminding us that the Father has given to him a reward for his obedience. And the reward for his covenant faithfulness is that there will be disciples throughout every age, throughout every generation. And this isn't the only place we see this. We are reminded by Paul in Ephesians 1, 4 to 5, where he says this, even as he, that's the Father, chose us in him, in Jesus, when before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. That's the heart. There's the motive. If you wondered why, in love, he predestined us for adoption, to become children, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So it's repeated throughout this prayer, the people you have given me, the people you've given me, I'm praying for them. And those are the ones who will persevere. Those are the ones I'm praying for. Those are the ones who will be kept. Those are the ones who will make it. Therefore, it is unthinkable then that Jesus would lose any of those who were given to him. This is a conversation between two members of the Godhead. Jesus Christ, to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given, will not lose those that have been gifted to him. They are the gift from the Father. Multitudes of believers throughout every age and generation are a gift from the Father to the Son. It's unthinkable that Jesus would ever say something like this, Father, thanks for giving me all those people, but sadly, I lost a few along the way. I tried to hold on to them, but somehow they got away. That is impossible. Why? Well, there are many reasons, but in the text, we see this as the reason and the preeminent reason is this, is that what Jesus asks for, he gets. Jesus' prayer will be answered. It is impossible for Jesus to pray outside of the will of God the Father. 
He's just accomplished the will of the Father. He has just finished the work the Father gave him to do. Now he is praying in accordance with the will of the Father. Therefore, the conclusion is that this is the will of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So look what he prays in verse 11 and 12. He says, Holy Father, keep them. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Now, we're going to talk about that next Sunday because that comes up in the last, the last part of the prayer. So we'll revisit that. But look what he says. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. So I've kept them. Now he's praying, Father. Now you keep them. There is no discord or disunity between the will of the Son and the will of the Father. And what we see in the unfolding passages of Scripture is that the Father then sends the Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, and it is the Spirit who keeps us. Why? Because the Spirit is the helper, remember? We've just been there in John 14, 15, and 16. I kept them which you have given me. There it is again. I have guarded them. Now, it's interesting. The words there, kept them, literally means or keep them, literally means keep them loyal. Keep them loyal. So it's not just a stamp. It's not just that you've been sealed, and that is true, but it's also an abiding. It's a, it's a keeping loyal to the gospel to the end. And so it's not just that, oh, once upon a time I, I gave my life to Jesus, and now I can live however and then I'll get to the end and everything's fine. No, no, it's a keeping loyal. It's a keeping faithful. It is, you're going to keep them. You're going to guard them to the end. Now, you might be asking, well, what about Judas? He's mentioned in the text, and he wasn't kept. Let's have a look at it quickly in verse 12. And not one of them has been lost which is true, the 11 were kept, except the son of destruction, which is a reference to Judas. Why? That the scripture might be fulfilled. And so you could have the question, well, if God didn't keep Judas, why then would he keep me? And the answer is, because you are a child of God, and the father doesn't lose his children. Judas was not a child of God. Judas was in the group, but he was not truly saved. He was near to Jesus, but he wasn't a servant or follower of Jesus. Judas never really belonged to Jesus, which is terrifying. And we said this as we looked at this earlier, that it is a reminder to us that we can be close to the people of God, we can be even close to the works of God, we can be close to Jesus and still not truly be saved. And this is implied because at the end of verse 12, it speaks of his apostasy, which was foreknown and foretold and came to pass exactly as it was planned. So in this text, Jesus is praying for the perseverance of the saints. He's praying for our perseverance. And, and what this doesn't mean, church, is it doesn't mean that we never have bad days. 
right? We're going to have bad days. And, and when you do have a bad day, it doesn't mean that now you're not a, not a Christian anymore. And it doesn't mean that Christians don't stumble. I've been a pastor for 27 years, as long as I've been married. And I can promise you Christians make big mistakes. Sad mistakes. But what happens is when we have those bad days and when we make those big mistakes, we come back to the Lord Jesus. It's called repentance with a broken and contrite heart. And his mercy leads us to repentance again. It's, it's, what, it's what happened with Jesus and Peter. It didn't happen with Jesus and Judas. So, so let me contrast just so that you understand this. Because it happened with Peter. Didn't he stumble? Yes, he did. He denied Christ, remember? And Jesus even said to him, you're going to deny me. But this is what he says to Peter in Luke 22, verse 32. And this is what he means by our perseverance. Jesus says this to Peter. But I have prayed for you. But I have prayed for you. And what have you prayed, Jesus? That your faith should not fail. So you're going to deny me. You're going to stumble. You're going to make a big mistake. But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And then he says this, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren, your brothers. It's so interesting that Jesus anticipates failure, but at the same time, it's not final. And he doesn't say, and if you return. Notice he says, and when you return. Why? Because Jesus has prayed for him. It makes all the difference. Not because Peter is smart, not because Peter is strong, but because Jesus prayed for him that his faith would not fail. Peter in himself would fail, but Jesus has prayed for him. And church, I want you to see this morning that Jesus has prayed for us, that your faith would not fail. There's more we could say, but we need, to, we need to move on. We'll bring this all together at the end. The second thing we see here is he prays for our sanctification. Verse 13, he goes on, he says, but now I'm coming to you. Jesus is speaking so powerfully about this union, this glory in verse 1 and 2, remember? The glory I had with you before. Restore to me that glory. He says, I am coming to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them, in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. In the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And here we sit today, 
and churches all over the globe, all over the world, we are recipients of these first disciples' faithfulness to the word. So what is sanctification, just quickly? Well, the word literally means to be set apart. It's the process by which we grow in holiness. It's the process of Christian growth. It's like the picture that Paul gives us, that when you become a Christian, when you first become a Christian, it's like you're a baby Christian, and then you need, you need this baby food, you need to drink milk, you know, and then you grow up and you, drink, you eat solids. And, and so it's the process of growth, of maturity, of becoming more like Jesus. And Jesus is praying for this. Jesus is praying for you. He wants you to mature. He doesn't want you to stay a baby Christian. He wants you to make it to the end, but when you get to the end, he wants you to be fully grown, mature. And as Christians, we are called to be different to everyone else. This is part of our calling. And if you sometimes feel like, man, I really feel very different to my non-Christian friends, well, that's because you are. We are to be in the world, but not like the world, which is what he clearly says here. This is where we get that saying from. Look again at verse 15. Then he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. So the process of sanctification is not to remove you from the world and all of its pains and trials and struggles. It's not that we escape in order to be sanctified. No, no, it's about engagement. It's about cultural engagement. And within cultural engagement, we are to be more like Jesus, not more like the world. And so holiness is not about isolation. It is about separation. We don't isolate ourselves from the world. We're in the world, but we're not of it. But he says, I do not... I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And again, we see the heart of Jesus, that, that there's going to be brokenness in the world, there's going to be evil, there's going to be opportunity for sin and temptation, but Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying for us, and his heart is displayed. It's a prayer for protection, and the love of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus is revealed here. He's praying for protection against sin and Satan. I don't know if you know the name of this bird. There's a bird in South Africa called the spotted thick knee bird. Spotted thick knee bird. It, there's its technical name. You can pronounce it yourself. But actually, you can go to the next slide. It's the gewone dukkop. Have you heard of the gewone dukkop? We have them in our fields, and uh, sometimes uh, my son and I, we're playing at Humewood Golf Course, and, uh, and you are, can often encounter, and, and when you encounter the dukkop, die vrou is a gevaarlijke voel. You know, I practice that. A gevaarlijke voel. Did I get it right? It's pretty bad, eh? But if you try and come between the dukkop and her baby, listen, she's a loving mom, but it's the most terrifying creature on earth. She will stop at nothing to protect her young. Jesus is praying for your protection. He's praying for you. Protect you from the evil one. And so when things do come your way, I want you to know that he's prayed for you 
which means that he's allowed it to come your way. And if he's allowed it to come your way, it's because it's part of your sanctification. And he's going to use it. Sometimes the sin of others, sometimes your own sin. But he's prayed for you. And he's, he's asked the Father to keep you and to protect you and to sanctify you. And so possibly this is part of the sanctification. So let me conclude and wrap this up. Perseverance, sanctification are a lifelong process. It doesn't happen all at once. And how does it happen? Well, we are sanctified in many different ways. There's Christian fellowship, there's prayers, there's trials and tribulations that we go through. But the primary agent of perseverance and sanctification is truth. And we see this also repeated in the prayer. Verse 8, for I've given them the words It's the word of God. I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. This is the the product. This is what the word of God does in us. It helps us to know truth. In a world that is so confused with so many different ideologies, how do we know the truth? Well, his word is the truth, and we come to know it. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Notice that it's not because they're not nice people. It's because they hold fast to the word. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so if we want to persevere, which Jesus has prayed for, and if we want to be sanctified, it's not automatic, Yes, Jesus has prayed for you, but he's also prayed for the means to the end. He's prayed for the end result, but the end result includes the means to the end. John Piper gives this great example. He says, if I have a nine-inch nail, and I put a nine-inch nail here, and I say to you that God has planned for this nine-inch nail to be driven into this pulpit... And I just leave it there. And I let go. What's going to happen? It's just going to fall over, right? Because I've left something out. Not only has God planned for the nine-inch nail to go into this wood, but he's also planned the means by which it's going to go in. And that's the hammer. And the hammer is planned also as the means to strike the nail to go into the wood. Which is why we believe in the sovereignty of God. And the sovereignty of God ordains all things, but also with the means to bring about all things that God has planned. And so the means of our perseverance and the means of our sanctification and the means of people coming to faith is through evangelism and through the preaching of the word of God. And so the word of God is critical to our growth and our holiness and our sanctification and our perseverance. But notice this also. Verse 19. For their sake, he says, as he brings us to a close, he says, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Not only does Jesus pray for the end and for the means, he doesn't just use words, he uses action. He says, I'm not just praying for you, I'm going to act for you. 
I'm going to consecrate. That word there is sanctify. I'm going to sanctify myself. What is he talking about? Well, the context is he's going to the cross. Jesus has not just prayed for you, but he's acted for you. He's not just going to be set apart for you. He's going to be torn apart for you. On the cross, Jesus himself will be nailed to a wooden cross. And there the power of sin and the power of Satan will be defeated, which is why he can pray for our successful perseverance. Because the foundation has been laid in his death and resurrection. So, church, you've been given by the Father to the Son as a gift. How do you know? Well, if you're looking to Jesus, if you're trusting in Jesus today, it's because you were given to the Son by the Father. You're one of those that were given. And this humbles us. It humbles us that, that that's why I'm a Christian. The reason I'm a Christian is because the Father drew me to the Son. And what we see here is that Jesus didn't start praying for you after you got saved. No, he's been praying for you long before you were saved. You were known, you were loved, you were chosen, you were purchased, you were adopted, and you were kept long before you even knew Christ or cared about him. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And there's more good news. He hasn't stopped praying for you. He prayed for you then, and he's been praying for you, and he's still praying for you. This prayer is continually brought before the Father because Jesus is now before the Father as our priest. Hebrews 7, verse 24, 25. He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save, there it is, to keep to the uttermost, to the end, those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession, prayer, for them. I'm going to close with a quote and then I'm going to pray. Robert Murray McShane said this, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. He's praying for you. Isn't that incredible? Father, we thank you for your word to us. Thank you that you are sovereign over all things. You have ordained the end as well as the means to the end. And we are just so thankful that Jesus prayed for us, that he brought this petition before the Father on our behalf, that, that we would not even be followers. We would not know you. Thank you for this gift of eternal life that is knowing you. We would not know you if Jesus hadn't prayed for us, hadn't petitioned for us.
And thank you, Father, that from eternity past, you chose us. We don't fully understand it. We know we don't deserve it. And it humbles us to think that we are your children. It's all your amazing grace. And thank you that you will keep us. Thank you that you've given us your word, which is our anchor, which is our, our food. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a greater appetite to feast on your word, to sit in the word and under the word, that we would grow and mature as believers. Thank you, Jesus, that not only were you once praying for us, but even right here, right now, you are praying for us. And even though we don't hear it, we know it's true. And so I pray that you would embolden us, encourage us, sanctify us, Lord Jesus. We want to be more like you. Chip away at those hard parts. Chip away at those sinful parts. We pray that you would cleanse us, Lord. Thank you that you consecrated yourself, that you were cut, you were set apart so that we could be sanctified. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our hearts. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict, that you would guide, that you would comfort Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work in our hearts. Thank you that you're our helper, our comforter, the one who convicts and guides. Lead us daily to the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.